Vaporwave News Network, Episode 2. Hello and welcome to Vaporwave News Network, a bi-weekly podcast about the contemporary vaporwave scene. We feature news, discussion, and current trends, as well as reporting on upcoming releases and events in the vaporwave, future funk, and adjacent communities. I'm your host, Alex, aka Trucks Passing Trucks. I run Pacific Plaza Records in addition to DJing and booking events over my past six years of being involved in the vaporwave community. Welcome to Vaporwave News Network. It's episode two, covering the second half of May 2023, over 10 years since the birth of this genre and scene. I'm going to talk about a bunch of things that have been happening in our vapor world. First, what's been going on with me? Well, first off, I want to say thank you for all the feedback on the first episode. It was quite a thing to put together, and I'm so glad that people are liking it. I really appreciate all the feedback I've been getting. A lot of people have been commenting on my radio voice and that the format was really great. So I'm glad people are enjoying it. And I hope people are going to want to contribute and keep listening and spread it. And, you know, I even got a shout out from uh, the quote, Vapor King himself, George Clanton. So that was pretty dope. So thank you, everybody. What have I been listening to lately? Well, an album I've been listening to lately and recommending to friends who like Vaporwave and who don't like Vaporwave is an album by Makoto Matsushita called First Light from 1982. So the way I've been describing this, I've been saying it's a city pop album that sounds like gaucho era Steely Dan. And there's a 2018 remaster on Spotify that sounds really fantastic. So go check that out if you like city pop, if you like that nice, funky, Steely Dan jazz rock sound, you're going to dig this. And here's a little bit of future funk trivia for you. Bakoto Matsushita has been sampled by Sari, Desired, Android Apartment, Crystal Kitsune, and Schooly Toyama. Not that song or album, but other stuff by that artist. And then lastly, as you can hear in my voice, I have been going hard this past Memorial Day weekend. I was at three different shows over the course of three days. Between all the talking and singing and yelling, um, I'm going to be a little rough in this episode. And I'm like taking breaks to do coughs and drinking water and all that good stuff. But two of those shows were back-to-back nights of Future Funk. The first one was at Sweat.biz in San Diego, where I was DJing with my buddies. And then Pacific Plaza was vending the next night at Crystal Nostalgia in LA, which was super dope. So enough about what I was doing. What's happened in the vaporwave scene the past two weeks? There's been a bunch of IRL shows. Vaporspace STL did Dujin Disco with Synchro Start. Uh, I heard that Lost Traveler hosted a show in Lima, Peru that featured themselves and Soar plus some other South American electronic music producers. I saw a little video of that. That was so dope. International Vaporwave shows. Awesome. And then I mentioned Crystal Nostalgia and Sweat.biz that happened in Southern California. But Yoitoki was back doing a future funk rave in New York City at TVI. And they have so many events coming up this summer. I'm going to get to some of them later. But let's talk about what URL things happened. We had Hot Takes doing two different episodes in the time since our last one. And they had Patch Notes on. And then recently they had Leroy from Surfing in Hawaii 94. That was such a cool episode. I love it when they get to talk to like OGs. And this one was particularly special because I think this was like their first international guest from like overseas, not someone from like Canada or like North America. So someone in a super, super different time zone. So kudos to... 
Young Shiro in Skeleton Lipstick and Leroy or Leroy. I don't know which one it was. I forget already. There was also a Luxury Aesthetics episode with DJ Non over on YouTube. This one was called Sitting Room. It was mall soft and slush wave themed. There was also another show over on YouTube. Luxury Elite hosted a Neon Nights episode back on May 23rd. Had some old school vapor and some bangers from some contemporary artists. So go check that one out. The Big Stream was back with some special guests. They had James and Tech from DDS on earlier in the month. And the trifecta was completed by a performance from Keith Rankin. And there was a bunch of new merch, vinyl and represses, including Faith and Persona, which I picked up on vinyl. And the Keith performance was kind of celebrating that vinyl release. So super dope. It sold out, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Go check it out. But in terms of more sold out stuff, the next week, 100% dropped a release for their new thing called the 100 Club. And it was JPEG Jams by FM Skyline. I think that's from one of his uh, MIDI Wave subscription releases. And immediately after that, they announced a new George Clinton album, which is coming out in late July. They uh, did a premiere for his new single, Justify Your Life. But I actually didn't get to catch the whole stream because I went to a show that night. Super busy weekend, but I did listen to the song later and kind of listened to it back to back with uh, the first song, I Feel Young. I think I kind of like the first one, I Feel Young, better. But two songs, a couple other songs are already out because they announced that track listing when they did the pre-order is up on 100% Electronica's website. I think it's for the album entitled Rap Aya. Something like that. Maybe I'll go back and insert the correct one and I'll say it right here. Ooh, Rap Aya. Anyway, there was one more cool thing that was hosted in the URL space and that was Global Pattern hosted a free with RSVP watch party for a new VHS they released called Drown. And so they used the Bandcamp live stream feature, which was super cool, super unique, and a really cool thing to use that for VHS and video premieres. That's something that I wish I had thought of and done for some of our old VHSs, although we were doing YouTube premieres for a lot of ours. But that's a really cool thing that hopefully more people who release VHSs through Bandcamp will do because so many people complain when they release VHSs on Bandcamp that they can't put them in the right category, blah, blah, blah. But that's a very cool Bandcamp feature that you could use to premiere a video album, music video, if you have like 10 music videos for your 10 tracks. Something cool to think about. Anyway, some other news items and loose ends from last week's main topic about Bandcamp. Calling back to that episode about labels in Bandcamp, it was announced that the Bandcamp employees unionized under the OPEIU Tech Workers Union Local 1010 which is, quote, a union of workers across all departments and Bandcamp committed to advocating for a better Bandcamp for all, including our international colleagues and the artists, labels, and fans who use the platform as well as ourselves. Maybe we'll see some more interesting changes, or maybe Epic Games will go, like, all jerk capitalist and, like, make things worse now. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, gosh, can't predict the future with these things anymore. But... Here's something you might be able to predict if you've been following the Spotify playlist for Vaporwave and Future Funk. And I'm going to keep bringing this up every now and again on the show. But the Vaporwave and Future Funk editorial playlist on Spotify have not been updated since November 4th. Although I will say, I was watching a lot around the time they stopped updating. And I briefly saw some tracks added to the Future Funk playlist that were later taken off. But they were added in like late November and then gone, I think by December or maybe the next year. Anyway just knowing that for everyone and spotify if you need a curator for that hit me up 
Some other announcements that were not releases. Mossy Frog Tapes opened submissions for their Kirby Wave Vaporwave compilation. It's themed around the iconic pink video game character, so you can go check that out on their social media. Now, we have upcoming shows, URL and IRL, of course. There's lots of things going on. I'm trying to note stuff for people who are trying to keep track, for people who might live in different parts of mostly, again, the United States and North America. Sorry that's a bit biased that way for the IRL stuff, but please send me some stuff. Send me stuff. First, URL, thing everyone can get involved in. We have Helios 3. It's on July 22nd and 23rd on Ming Curry's Twitch channel. Over 120 musical artists, 36 visual artists, over 40 hours of performances. I think some submission dates are coming up for that. If you're part of it, make sure you check your submission dates and send your stuff in. Next, we got Neon Knights, hosted and curated by Luxury Elite. As I mentioned earlier, they're going to be having a family and friends episode on June 6th over on YouTube. So you can tune into that. And I think uh, the submissions are closed already. But if you're looking for more information on Neon Knights, there's a Twitter profile for the show. And you can follow that. Although, I, I don't know. Who knows how long Twitter will last at this point. It's, it's really getting dead over there. It's kind of weird. The day before that, on Monday, June 5th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, Hot Takes will have Luxury Noise as a guest on their show. And I might know something, but I bet he'll be telling us a bit about some new music and a new album. Anyhow, on to IRL things. On June 10th, we got Yoitoki in San Francisco at the Rickshaw Stop. June 18th, Sweat.biz is back at the Whistle Stop in San Diego. June 23rd, Yoitoki is in Seattle at El Corazon with Fantacat. Also on June 23rd, Nostalgia Salon Vice City is in New York City at 47 Thames Street, or Thames Street, one of those two. June 24th, Crystal Nostalgia is going to be back in LA. And on June 24th, Yoitoki will be in Las Vegas at Area 51. June 30th, we got two shows. Yoitoki's at the Masquerade in Atlanta. And then in upstate New York, we have B-Side and Dreamhole presenting Power PCME, Vape Air, and a couple other artists performing at No Fun in Troy, New York. So that's upstate. On July 1st, we got Yoitoki in Los Angeles at Don Quixote, which is going to have me as the featured DJ. It's for the weekend of Anime Expo. On July 14th, we got Yoitoki in Baltimore at the Baltimore Soundstage with special guest Fiber. On the 29th, another doubleheader, Yoitoki in Pontiac, Michigan at the Crowfoot Ballroom. And also in the Midwest, we have on July 29th, Midwest Aesthetic doing their summer synapse event at the High Noon Saloon in Madison, Wisconsin. And that's going to feature an all-star lineup of Luxury Elite, A Hero, Vapor, Fire Tools, Van Gogh, Simple Syrup, Young Shiro, and more. And then I haven't gotten much about August yet from people, although I'm hearing that shows are getting booked. I do have one thing to announce, and that's going to be August 5th. I'm going to be doing a event at Santa Ana Art Walk in Southern California. So that's down Orange County. I'm going to be curating a night with a couple Pacific Plaza artists and myself performing for free over on 2nd Street in Sycamore. So come on down to Art Walk, Saturday, August 5th. It's always the first Saturday of the month down here in Orange County. It's a great time. Lots of public art lots of galleries are open lots of restaurants and people selling stuff on the streets it's really cool so if you're in the southern california area it's definitely worth a drive down to orange county and you can see some vaporwave as well as some other art and interesting stuff just a note at the end here i haven't gotten any show submissions whether that's url or irl so please 
please send stuff in. Even if you've only seen it mentioned on other people's public social media posts, you can totally send me links to those and you can totally send me other shows that you've just seen, even if you're not the organizer. Of course, don't send me stuff that organizers have told you not to share yet. But if you see something publicly posted, send it to me. That's totally cool because I want to get it on my calendar and I'm going to start making a graphic that goes along with every episode that's going to have a calendar as well. So please send me stuff. It helps out a lot. So into our next section here, we have upcoming and current releases. And man, there's been some cool stuff from some big names in the scene. It's pretty great that we just keep getting blessed with so much interesting music. The first thing I'm going to talk about today is from an artist I particularly love. And I love to talk about this artist because they make such cool and interesting music. And that artist is Dan Mason, who self-released his album, I'll Be Alright, on May 13th on his band camp. And of course, it was across all streaming services. So Dan has been exploring the intersection of Vaporwave, Chillwave, and Emo for a few albums over the past couple of years. And he's interspersed this with the Electric Elevator series and other projects under other names like uh, Ghost Enterprises. And as we all know, he's kind of the progenitor of the term Vaporwave 2, even if he didn't actually like invent the subgenre himself. But this album definitely falls into that Vaporwave 2 and like Emo Vaporwave crossover category, which really appeals to someone like me who comes from like the emo and indie world and we have some beautiful artwork by b fanti the songs have original instrumentation by dan and he's using like a chill wave inspired palette with math rock and emo inspired rhythms and melodies so some songs have like really cool time signature changes as well as like odd time signatures you know not something we usually hear in vaporwave unless it's a weird sample chop and these aren't like weird sample chops they feel very natural which is so sweet you know, I really wish Dan could like get this kind of music into the ears of people in the DIY emo scene. Because for the past four years, there's been like this niche of people in that community advocating for the use of this term. And I guess the organizing idea of fifth wave emo, which would be a new wave of emo that fuses other genres with emo. So the emo that they're fusing it with, to get even more specific and silly here, there's already been, you know, a couple waves of emo and there's Midwest emo and then that like pop mall rock emo, which is second and third wave. So they're creating music with distinct sonic palettes that pull from both rock-based emo music and stuff like electronic music, folk music, or for instance, in the case of a band like Hey I Love You, Vaporwave. So in addition to Dan's album, I'm also going to recommend you check out an album that came out last year by the band Hey I Love You. And it came out on Lonely Ghost Records. And it fuses some elements of Vaporwave into that like twinkly mid-fi math rock and power pop sound that's like really big in the emo world. The album they released is called Psychokinetic Love Songs. And the way the band usually spells their name is Hey I-L-Y. You know, I pronounced it Hey I Love You, but it's Hey I-L-Y. So you can go check out their Bandcamp, heyilyband.bandcamp.com. If you're looking for more fifth wave emo bands that kind of have like a vapor connection, check out Glass Beach. So they had Skylar Spence do a remix of Rat Castle for their Alchemist Rats Beg Bashful remix compilation. So I, I don't know what kind of connection is there between Glass Beach and Skylar Spence, but whatever it is, I like it and I want to book them on a show together because I actually booked Glass Beach on a show right before the pandemic and they were super nice people. And I've known some of the people in that band for years going back into like the LA chiptune scene. So cool band to check out as well. Next release is going to be US Golf 95, another self-release. And this one is called PlayStationJungle.psx. And it was released May 21st on their Bandcamp. 
And the title of this actually dovetails nicely with something that's going to be discussed in the main topic. But this release here is six tracks of Liquid DMB, clearly influenced by PlayStation and video game music. So if you dig stuff like Pizza Hotline's album Level Select, this is definitely for you. It takes that new wave of like drum and bass or like ambient jungle inspired vapor and it pairs it with the artwork and aesthetics of those early era vaporwave releases and PS1 games. The artwork's fashioned after a PS1 game and it has beautiful blocky polygonal renders of the tropical mountains and trees at the edge of a teal blue ocean. You like that one? That was a good one. You can check it out on their Bandcamp, usgolf95.bandcamp.com. And that's a fun one to add to some drum and bass DJ sets. It's kind of like a something that my label put out, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. But before I get to that, I'm going to talk about my third major release here for our upcoming and current releases sections. And boy, this was a great surprise for all of us to receive. On May 22nd, Luxury Elite dropped their new album, Fashion Pop. Self-release, another self-release, dropped on Bandcamp. It's got that classic Luxury Elite style. It's got the Italo disco samples this time, and they're chopped up into new compositions with beautiful, seamless edits. I mean, the production level is as high as ever with you know the last couple albums, but this one has a real full bandwidth audio spectrum that just rocks the speakers. And as Young Shiro from Hot Takes said, on this one, Lux has upped her game. It's very clean sounding, and I definitely agree with that. It sounds so clean. Ah, it's awesome. Great classic style. It's not lo-fi. It's not like late night lo-fi. I mean, it uses that kind of sound and sample material, but it's got great high fidelity production almost. I mean, you really got to check it out. And Another interesting thing is people on Bandcamp seem to be referencing the early 90s as a touchpoint for this record. So I'll, I'm going to read a review by uh, Zach Wells that was on the Bandcamp release page. And I thought this one was pretty interesting and maybe gives you a good idea of what you're getting into with the new Luxury Elite record. It says, and I quote, I know most associate Vaporwave with the 80s, but to me, this album has a very early 90s feel. Those years had their own vibe compared to the rest of the decade. For me, I particularly like the big synths that come in on the second half of the song Last Summer. That's a dope one. And another highlight track for me was Monochromatic Fantasy. And I love how long it is, actually. I mean, it deserves to be that long. So go check it out, luxuryelite.bandcamp.com. Some other releases and announcements of note. We have Gorgeous Lights back in action, dropping a trio of albums that were available to buy as a bundle. It includes albums from Cosmic Cycler, Sibaris, which is an alias of HKE from you know, Dream Catalog in 2014, as well as an album from longtime producer Babe Fake, who contributed a Barber Beats album to the trio. Producer Trapes had a new album called Modern Mythology over on Dream Shore Tapes, and Ronce by Zero Ray came out on their new label, Ray Tapes. No Problema has released a few new albums. They are just always going at it. And two are a continuation of their Barber Beats series with an album from Godspeed Sound and Mabicio as well as a sample-free Slushwave album from Reyes. Longtime producer Otto has a new album coming out June 16th, and he dropped a single on Spotify. I think there's going to be some other ones as well. Global Pattern has been back with their monthly bundles, and this month they had three releases, although only one seemed to be new, and that was Complex Architecture by Cologne Terminal. Desert Sands Feels Warm at Night put out a digital album, and the title translates to Shed Silent Tears, came out on his band camp and it's eight tracks of slushy goodness with uh, some very long jams in there as i'm sure you'd expect 
I actually ended up hearing some of this. I'm not sure how much of it I heard, but my partner put it on while we were hanging out uh, a weekend or two ago. And just as kind of like beautiful hypnotizing background music, it was wonderful. I mean, I was kind of bummed when it ended. And it kind of got lost in time, which I think is one of those things you want to get out of a Slush Wave album. Runners Club 95 released a new single called Somebody Like You. So glad they're releasing new music. I'm really excited for their new album, which is going to be called Sponsored Content. So they said this was the first single and the upcoming album is going to be out August 25th. Interesting date to pick. Darian Shields announced a new album called A Slash B coming in June. And it's more like demos and written songs that have a vapor vibe as opposed to his sample-based material he'd released for his last couple albums. And then Lost Traveler released a new album called The Eye of Truth on Satoshi Records. Last but not least, I'll talk about something that came out coming from my label, Ognos, the polymath vapor producer, DJ, and photographer, documentarian. He came out with a new single called Chroma Trails, and that's off an upcoming EP called Gilded Sentience, which is coming out on my label, Pacific Plaza. You can check out the song on Spotify. Ognos is also going to be playing a show around the release date of the EP, June 23rd down here in socal so stay tuned for the info and details on that in our june episode and i'll probably talk about that release a little bit more in our next episode as always if you have upcoming releases to send to us for coverage please go to our link tree and use the upcoming release submission form priority is given to new releases and i'm typically not super interested in reissues i might mention them sometimes but as you can see i have a ton of things to cover every time and there's so much music always coming out. I'm not covering everything. There's stuff I saw when just scrolling around it that I was like, man, should I put it on there? No, nah, I already got a lot of stuff and a lot of good stuff that hopefully you will all be able to go check out. Please note, if your album's not publicly announced by the time I record the voiceover, it's probably not going to be featured or I might push it back to the next episode depending on how much room there is or if I remember it. Vaporwave News Network show is not a vehicle for premieres and I'm not trying to like make labels mad by preempting them and announcing something before they want it to be announced due to artists and people sending submissions and miscommunicating with me. Right now, I would say send stuff that's going to be happening in late June because I'm already starting to work on the early June episode. And if it's too close to the very, very, very beginning of June, and I have a ton of releases to get through, I'm going to bump the older stuff first. So keep that all in mind. Anyway, let's get on to our main topic this week. I have a super cool video to tell you about, and we are going to get to it just in a second here. For our main topic this week, we have a super cool video that I found on YouTube recently by a channel called Yay Text. And this video is called Decoding the Secret Language of Vaporwave. It has an accompanying article on their website as well. And if you haven't seen it and you do have time to go like watch a pretty lengthy video right now, I'd recommend you pause the podcast and go watch it. But if you want to listen to my summary and some other things here, you could do that first and then I'll give you another you know, cue later on in the podcast episode to go watch if you really need all the details. It has a great deep dive into the use of text and Unicode in the vaporwave music and art movement, as well as some controversial conclusions or maybe perhaps hot takes on the development and the future of the scene from someone who's a bit of an outsider and who's using data to make these pronouncements, so to speak. 
Now, a little summary of the video. Now, the video starts and it tells us about Unicode, which is a, quote, a text encoding standard whose goal is to assign a code to every letter, number, symbol in every language in the universe. And the video talks about how this overlaps with Vaporwave. The video starts off with a pretty good summary of the Vaporwave art movement, and the author does talk about the visual aspect of it quite a bit throughout the video, which I loved. Yatext uses data scraped from over 800,000 Vaporwave tracks from Bandcamp and SoundCloud, as well as Reddit posts and Google Trends data to, quote, see not only how Vaporwave is different from other similar sounding styles of music, but how Vaporwave has evolved and mutated over time. And we can even take a stab at where it's headed next, end quote. The author also claims that we can see other things such as, quote, when it started drifting away from its founding philosophies, when the visual side started to overtake the audio side, and when the genre embraced a spirit of experimentation, and when things got formulaic, unquote. He defines Unicode and shows the spread in like a cool bar graph of how Vaporwave utilizes many different blocks out of Unicode. So Unicode has a bunch of different blocks representing different languages, emojis, symbols, mathematics, and other stuff like that. And Vaporwave uses a wide variety of blocks, whereas most music only uses like Latin characters and the stuff we would use as letters and just like our everyday normal typing. It's so cool how he shows the spread of these different blocks of Unicode and its usage throughout Vaporwave because one of the things that is done is he's comparing it to Synthwave and how Vaporwave uses many more different blocks or sections of Unicode than Synthwave does and then shows how that changes over time, like how the usage of the different blocks, the amount and types of blocks used kind of changes as we go through the different eras of Vaporwave. So this got me really excited for what was to come in the video. And of course, not surprisingly, Vaporwave uses Japanese text blocks of code a lot, but it also dips its toes into interesting symbols, things like mathematics, and then ASCII slash ANSI blocks, which is not only in text, but also in art. It's super cool how he talks about that. Going deeper, the video also brings up sort of the Orientalist and fetishistic aspects of vaporwave that still deserve some critical discussion today so i'm glad that was brought up and you know it's definitely something i think about and take into consideration when artists send me albums or tell me what the concept behind their music is or you even when i get submissions for this podcast and it's still something that maybe is an untackled topic that definitely still comes up and even in the comments on this yatex video there was someone definitely talking about the racist orientalist and fetishistic aspects of vaporwave that you know proliferate to this day it is interesting how the use of cjk characters block is intertwined with the use of full width and half width text because we all know that like spaced out or full width and half width text is like a really important part of vaporwave uh, expression and it talks about how vaporwave sort of has remixed this textual element and this textual element was created for like a totally different purpose it was called jisx 0201, which was a standard that was created in 1969. The video continues with analysis of the quote corporate influence on Vaporwave and the various ways artists comment on corporatism, nostalgia, consumerism, and the dreams or visions of the future past. And you know, it really captures the special idiosyncrasies of this genre. It also, in my opinion, shows how Vaporwave is kind of open to evolve into utilizing more 2000s corporate aesthetics and repurposing more symbols and signifiers you know from like the y2k era and beyond 
Side note, another side note, but about the video. <laughs> I did not know that the Vaporwave subreddit was actually created the same month that the Adam Harper article in Bizarre Mag came out. So July 2012. I'm going to remember that one. That's in my Vaporwave history document now. One cool part of the video was the file extensions analysis. So I mentioned the .jsx earlier from uh, the US Golf 95 release. And this part of the video was another like big highlight for me. So if you've not paused to watch the video yet, I would say this would be another good opportunity to maybe pause, watch the video. And if you watch the video, you can kind of uh, understand my critiques more that are coming up in like the next section here. But I'm not gonna spoil all the conclusions that are reached in the video and a lot of the really interesting things the file extension analysis part of the video brings up. But the popularity of 80s and 90s extensions was like kind of one of those like, oh, duh moments for me when I was watching the video. I was like, yeah, man, that's so important to the genre and like its use and its decline or increase in popularity and the types of file extensions used. Really interesting stuff from this video. It also talks about ASCII and ANSI as well as BBS and monospace text influence. And the video finally drops the Sea of Dogs artist name and iconic album through the fog and the driftwood, which has a lot of interesting characters if you've ever seen that album title and cover and you know that was a nice blast from the past of like second third wave and the ocean grunge subgenre when that was a thing yeah anyone remember ocean grunge out there could insert a wave sound right now anyways there's a bunch of conclusions drawn some using evidence from a serial vaporwave and future funky antagonist van pogum which Kind of like feels a bit weird considering they didn't reach out to like labels or producers and people who've been around in this scene for a decade, including people who've been in the original Facebook groups that like evolved this genre. But, you know, I'll, I'll discuss my thoughts here and it is a good observation they pointed out that the visual and the aesthetics of Vaporwave continue to grow in popularity and become recognizable in the mainstream, even if the music itself was kind of petering off. And the idea of Vaporwave as an art movement expressing ideas about nostalgia and technology, going beyond just being a quote, you know, like a genre of music with one or two common techniques, is really seen in this video and reinforced in my opinion. The final section of the video, though, discusses the current scene or from 2019 to the end of 2022 into 2023. And for me, uh, while I might argue that that's not like a very coherent era to members of the community, since it starts like right before Electronicon 1 and 2, encompasses all of the COVID era, which was like widely perceived as like a huge boon and boom in the community. This idea that gets repeated from Van Pogden about Vaporwave being a fractured mess doesn't seem to be borne out by the data and by people who've been participating in the community. I think people are more connected than ever and they're more less anonymous than ever which leads to more connections there's more irl shows all the url shows really brought so many things and so many genres and like people from different sides of the vaporwave community together like people who hated each other were on some of the same url shows you know but i don't know i think some of the things you can't get through the data and one of the things maybe missed out on is how much more interconnected on so many more platforms the community has become you know, pre-pandemic, but especially since the pandemic. And like the ways to consume Vaporwave has spread into easily accessible mainstream platforms, not just downloading stuff off Tumblr or Bandcamp or Mediafire. 
The idea of vaporwave being more of an adjective, as the video concludes, it's supported by the evidence in the video, but it does kind of seem funny to reiterate the opinions of vaporwave is dead by suggesting that all music from a genre must always be like pushing boundaries and being the on the newest forefront and edge of everything. I mean, as something grows larger, becomes an adjective, and becomes more of like an umbrella for certain types of art as opposed to just one certain type of sound or visual, you know, aesthetic it's only natural that there's going to be different unique takes on it and then there's also going to be just a lot of people copying and imitating you know i'm not going to use like the boomer there's no more good rock music these days or there's no more good music on the radio example but i guess i just did there's a couple other observations and things that surprised me in this video a lot of the audio examples were from artists i've never heard of uh which i thought was actually really cool and really showed like the breadth and depth of vaporwave and you know what one of the examples that they showed was an uh example of artwork from an album that my label released which was pretty cool i liked seeing that and yeah that whole wide selection that they went through to find examples i was so impressed and it really showed how vast the genre is beyond you know like the hyped up vinyl and limited cassette drops that like take so many people's attention and because you know the vaporwave out there is always being discovered in so many different ways. And honestly, I think people listen to Vaporwave the most in places that are not the cassettes or on Bandcamp. And the people that are like hearing it are not just the people who are in the social community, which is something that I also have to think about and consider when someone makes a video like this and really you know, brings hard evidence and data to kind of explain or maybe help explain what's gone on in the Vaporwave scene the past you know, 10 to 12 years. But it was really cool. They used some examples from some really well-known artists too, like Death Dynamic Shroud and Mesh. It was really awesome how intertwined the history of Unicode is with the display of text and its influence on vaporwave expression and style. Yes, a lot of it could be dated back to the 80s and 90s, but the influence of the 2000s is clearly felt in vaporwave textual expression. The depth and variety of elements analyzed is so great. And I just love how they talked about track titles, album titles, artist names, text within artwork, text on artwork, the way things were formatted and stuff. It was just really cool. So to kind of start wrapping things up, I'm going to talk about some things that are maybe like critiques or things I think the author of the video might have missed or maybe wouldn't be aware of because they're not like an insider in the scene like me. So I think the analysis doesn't account for the rise of Vaporwave being uploaded to Spotify. And I think that more than anything had a big influence on the way people wrote track titles and the way people started formatting artist names and changing the way they format their artist names in some cases. Putting stuff on Spotify was a big influence, especially a couple of years ago when digital distributors couldn't like handle as many funky characters, you know, like recently in the past year or two just digital distributors can handle those things a bit better and you know i think this is maybe like a contributor to the formulaic nature of vaporwave in certain time periods like the video mentioned especially going from 2018 into 19 but you know looking at the charts it, it was funny seeing the huge surge of interest going into 2016 and 17 because like within the scene that's not like a highly regarded era you know although there are tons of releases it's like the era that came after the second big push of vaporwave is dead and hard vapor and things that like were like not a fun time for certain folks in the scene let's put it that way but 
you know, it's interesting if you look at Vaporwave compared to Future Funk. So I went and did the Google Trends thing for Vaporwave versus Future Funk. And Future Funk's is all messed up. It has like a crazy spike in 2010, which doesn't seem related to you know our vapor adjacent genre and then it's just flatlined ever since which is kind of funny because we know there are future funk artists who play edm level gigs and the biggest tours shows and parties are future funk themed even though they use vaporwave and all their branding so you know future funk originally took off as a subgenre cross paths of vaporwave all the way back in 2011 and 12 but that's a whole other main topic in itself so another point is changes in culture and rules over at the Vaporwave subreddits were not really covered, and I can understand why, but the decline on the subreddit has a bit more to it than Vaporwave losing popularity, because we know that there's been a lot of moderator changes, and there's been conflicts between like moderators of the subreddit and like big figures in the community. It's funny that there are screenshots of the automod in the, in the A text article, because that was like a huge contributor to posts getting taken down and limiting what new and upcoming producers, podcasts, labels, and visual artists could even post i mean mods tried to section off the various parts of the scene and that's why you have the vaporwave aesthetics one take off so much more in that time era on his chart which it's, that's hard to account for if you weren't around i mean every vaporwave podcast that has existed has had problems posting on the subreddit and lots of labels and artists complain that they can't get their stuff to trend at all and you see the same boring stuff quote boring or just repetitive stuff trending I don't know. The mods tried to section off the various parts of the scene, like I said earlier. And, you know, the people who are around for the pandemic boom of Vaporwave and URL shows knows there, there hasn't been a decoupling of visuals and music. They've gone hand in hand. And in fact, there's been more video albums, more albums coupled to visuals, more respected designers being known as their designer name. And visual artists as well as video artists have emerged within the scene who have recognizable styles and releases. Whether that's on VHS, DVD, YouTube, streaming. You know, that naturally happens in any art movement that's closely tied to a music genre or evolves out of a music genre, whether that's punk, prog, or rave music. And usually that's seen as a sign of growth and expansion, not something that's dead or dying. So, Vaporwave, we're still going strong. It's hard to take, you know, into account some of these things in a data-based analysis. And I could go on and try and criticize a lot more, but you know, I think it's a logical progression that when new waves of producers join a genre, they're going to take influence from their forebears and expound or expand on the elements that were popular at the start of the genre and then take it in different directions. You know, I'd argue it makes sense the corporate side of Vaporwave declined as people found new avenues and ways to express their nostalgia, express their dreamlike states, express their dream music and dream punk, and comment on the relationship or humans' relationships in general to like nostalgia, the promised future, consumerism, and even capitalism. You know, a big influence in this would be widely respected albums like Birth of a New Day, World Class, Miami Virtual by Dan Mason, DDS I'll Try Living Like This, Music of the Now Age, the Vape Council compilations. I mean, I, I could go on, but these iconic releases from that next era like, expand beyond the corporate aspects of Vaporwave that people like to harp on. And this wave of 2015 releases codifies the genre's social community as well. So things to think about and you, things you might have thought of if you've you know watched vaporwave for long enough so again i encourage you to watch the video and if you're a producer maybe it will encourage you to do some things differently in the future or make some callbacks to vaporwave's past whether that's through the text or music or art there's some really good tips actually in the video for character blocks and parts of unicode to explore and ways to push textual boundaries in this art movement you know things that could be useful for artists and labels alike especially in making promo posts and other interesting things 
There's also a text article on Yaytech's website. I'm going to link to that in the description. And uh, there's one one more thing. It was funny to read this. This is only in the, uh, the, the written version. It says, quote, many tracks produced during this time were, quote, low effort, where sampled music was simply slowed down. And like, you know, not to mention people still whine about like the slow down, low effort music. And I don't really think that's a good way to talk about it and describe it. I mean, one of the most popular and upcoming vaporwave subgenres is barber beats, where producers sometimes explicitly cite their sources and say they have just slowed stuff down or did what I think should be called minimalist production techniques. Minimalist production techniques are a staple in vaporwave going all the way back to the very first Heaven Can Wait mixtapes that games did in 2010. So when I see anyone say something like low effort vaporwave that's like a red flag for me because that person should take a critical lens to the genre and production techniques that have been used throughout music history and the folkloristic techniques that vaporwave embodies that one Otrix point never literally quoted and talked about in an interview back in 2010 let's move on to the next section here speaking about old things we're going to talk about this week in vaporwave history so this is my segment where i'm going to go back talk about something that happened during this time of the month or something that came out this time of the month back in the day and i'm still in that like 2010 11 to 2014 15 era so we're going to start back in 2011 with something that's a uh, Vapor adjacent, I guess, but definitely important to the growth of internet music genres and microscenes that eventually ended up trending so hard that mainstream appropriation was all but inevitable. So, today I'm going to talk a little bit about Vaporwave and C-Punk and the album Days Off by Teams, released on Amdisks May 25th, 2011, and is catalog number AMDD054. And Days Off is actually stylized with the letter A from Days being an X, and O from the word Off being an X. So, as you may or may not know, Teams was a project by Sean Bowie, who people might better recognize as Yves Two More. Teams had already been around with a previous release and a mixtape, but they would later be featured on the Sewer Greats compilations, C-Punk compilations, and collaborated with daytime television under the name Team Jordan. So you might be wondering, like, why is this album related to C-Punk? Well, the team's Twitter account was tagged in the original C-Punk like, threads on Twitter, which weirdly enough actually didn't start happening until June 1st, 2011, so a couple days after this release. And I mean, that's according to the Vice article about the decline of C-Punk, which you know they released in <laughs> spring 2012, not too long after. But they have a bunch of Twitter screenshots. Gosh, man, that's going to be looked at such a thing of this time. Twitter screenshots and news articles. Anyways, this release had chopped and screwed samples as well as a vocal contribution and some collaborations, all aspects of Vaporwave that still continue today. And some of those collabs are actually with people who still have been kind of around the orbit of the current Vaporwave scene, like Persona Lav, who is on one of the tracks. This release has more like grimy and lo-fi production associated with the early vapor sound and uses sound design to evoke feelings of nostalgia. There's the DJ-like filter sweeps, loop layers of samples, and you know, this, this release feels perfectly at home in the vaporwave canon of like classic style, late night lo-fi, and vapor funk. And it's interesting this album has been adopted in the early history of not only vaporwave, but C-punk. If you do look at the album artwork, the physical artwork, especially the back cover of the vinyl, 
you can see the C-Punk aesthetic kind of coming together and it's it's there. But like I mentioned earlier, this release actually predates those Twitter threads and it predates the Facebook groups that the C-Punk folks, the producers, curators, and internet antagonists involved in that scene were part of. Teams, you know, they were also on the C-Punk, or the hashtag C-Punk volume one compilation, which was released September 11th, 2011. So it makes sense that Teams is considered part of the C-Punk movement. And since its inclusion in the canon of Vaporwave and C-Punk, it actually has the dubious distinction of being the very first Vapor Vinyl. And as such, it's a holy grail for many collectors that have arrived on the scene in the past decade, and it's been very out of print. It's, it's cool, but funny enough, I'd say the Teams release that came before this album, which is called Teams vs. Starslinger, which is a collab EP, that's actually like very, very future funk and Vapor Funk. It's got the chop samples, it's got the big slappy drums, and it's got much more like cleaner production than Days Off does, and it sounds more like things that came out on Keats Collective shortly after that. Anyways, our second release for the history segment here is from the very next year, 2012. Released on May 21st, 2012 was the iconic Ice in the Veins by Contact Lens, and this is arguably the first Vapor Trap album. It starts with the familiar sound of skittering trap beats over slowed and chopped loops, but it slowly unfolds into a screwed up coating haze. Pitch down bass groans and tape hiss coats the entire release, like many classic vapor releases that happened in 2011 and 2012. This release is clearly indebted to DJ Screw with a few tracks including pitch down verses from the plundered material. While this release set the template, within a year, the Vapor Trap sound be given a glossy sheen and transformed into carefully produced thematic works by many artists, including Blank Banshee, whose music started coming out just a month or two after this, Vapor, Sibaris, and other artists like NXXXS, and Light. And you know, I'm not trying to do like three albums or features for each history segment, but I'm gonna do one more quick shout out. And that quick shout out is to one of the all time best albums, Hit Vibes by St. Pepsi. Came out May 31st, 2013, which, you know, everyone knows it's an iconic moment in future funk and vaporwave history. And here's a little fun fact there was an SPF 420 URL release show for this album. Pretty cool. With that, I hope everyone has enjoyed this week's episode of Vaporwave News Network. Like I said at the top, I truly appreciate all the compliments from people who have reached out to me about episode one. Like I mentioned in the first episode, I'm still looking for people who would like to be contributors, whether that's just sending me information, reporting to me on specific subgenres, or even coming on mic for some episodes or main topics to be a guest. Get in touch over social media through email. I'm not doing interviews. This is an interview show. If I do do interview style stuff, it's going to be very specifically related to our main topics or things of that nature. But as always, you can find some of the albums and music mentioned in the episode description and notes. If you have anything you'd like to submit to the Vaporwave News Network, check out our link tree for submission forms. You can find that at linktr.ee slash Vaporwave News Network. And now we have a Twitter and Instagram profile where we post highlight graphics with the releases mentioned in each episode, the history stuff and other things. So make sure you give us a follow and repost the content. Seriously, like reposting the graphics, reposting the video clips, that kind of stuff helps spread the word to people in the scene because they're going to see it quickly while scrolling through. They might not see my stuff because the algorithm is not going to push it to them because there's not a lot of followers on the Vaporwave News Network social media stuff yet. If you want to get in contact with me, I also have an email. You can do it through the email, vaporwavenewsnetwork at 
gmail.com. I've been your host, Alex, a.k.a. Trucks Passing Trucks. If you want to find me or my label on social media, you can look up Pacific Plaza Rec. That's Pacific Plaza R-E-C on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Uh, and eventually hosting this is going to cost me money. So in the meantime, Pacific Plaza is going to become an ongoing sponsor of this show until I set up some donations and advertising stuff. It's coming together slowly but surely. So I also have an Instagram page for my personal stuff, my music and DJing shenanigans, all that good stuff over at Trucks Passing Trucks, all one word. Like I said, I'm playing down San Diego at the Whistle Stop for Sweat.biz on June 18th. And then I'm playing Yoritoki at Don Quixote in LA on July 1st for Anime Expo Weekend. If you want to catch me live, say hi to me, meet me, all that good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you tune into future episodes of the Vaporwave News Network. From our part of the vapor world, this is Alex, signing off until next time. Vaporwave News Network.